This podcast episode is brought to you by Adam Marr in Montauk, New York. Adam Marr offers a unique selection of quality surfboards along with thoughtfully made apparel. Adam Marr is a full-service surf shop and provides everything from surf wax and wetsuits to ding repairs and rentals. Highly educated listeners will receive 15% off, yes, 15% off all online orders by using the code 3MILEMEDIA, all spelled out, lowercase, with no spaces, at that online checkout, or you can use the code when you mention it in the Montauk store. Don't miss out and stock yourself up before the next swell by ordering online at adammar.co or by visiting them in their downtown Montauk location all year round. Offer valid for limited time only. Welcome to Highly Educated, the podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman, and tonight, another great episode, we bring to you the local musical sensation known as Jack Marshall. Jack has been playing music basically his entire life. He's a virtuoso musician, yes, I'm saying it, and he can basically play anything with strings or without. We bring Jack on to tell us all about his musical experiences, the 47 different projects he's in, and all the great musical things he's doing for the town. Welcome, Jack Marshall. Jack, welcome, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. And uh, we brought Jack in here. Jack's a killer musician. He's been playing out here forever and in all these different projects, always involved with music. Uh, we were actually even in high school jazz band together, fun fact. Yeah, we were. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we brought him in, and, and he's here to share his story. He's here to share his love for music, how it all got started, and uh, what ignites his passion for it. And uh, Jack, basically a little chop up. We know you're from East Hampton, or I know you're from East Hampton, but the lovely listeners out there, that's the eastern end of Long Island, New York, for all those who are not familiar. And yeah, Jack, I mean, kind of tell us, like, did you, what, did somebody just get you a guitar and you just picked it up and you started going ham or was there another instrument? Like what, what was the kind of catalyst? Uh, I found a guitar under my mom's bed. She had briefly played when she was a kid and never really got into it. And there was just one, my, my dad bought a guitar for her later in life to kind of see if she would like have a reinterest in the whole thing. And it just kind of remained out of the bed. And one day I, I found it and started strumming on it. And I started taking violin as my school instrument in fourth grade. And then that same year, I went to, I don't know if you remember, uh, Sag Harper Music Shop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I started, back, yeah. I started taking lessons over there the same year. So that kind of got me in a really good foundation for playing most string things because I started violin and guitar right at the same time. And then from there, I was able to kind of learn a whole bunch of different instruments over the years. But was that conflicting to kind of learn guitar and violin at once? Because they're like different. They're, you know, they're different, but. I don't think so. I didn't really think about it because I was probably like nine or ten when I started playing. And I just liked it. It was something I always enjoyed and ended up staying with it. And now it's, you know, become my career and everything. So it's been, you yeah. know. What, now, what guitar did you find? What kind of guitar was it? Do you remember? It was some kind of. Um, like classical nylon kind of thing. Oh yeah, one of those like little Spanish guitars. Yeah, like I think <laughs> my mom had had like a, a brief stint in that kind of like '60s like folk mass kind little of thing. Joan Baez. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think um, you know she had she had learned a couple chords like your GCD kind of thing, and then um, you know it got put under the bed and kind of forgotten about. And then one day I, I don't know how I found it. I just dug it up and started strumming on it. And then uh, it was kind of like everything where my parents were like, "Do you want to do?" swimming or karate or like what do you want to like do and I said I wanted to take music lessons and I just started doing it and then for whatever reason I really liked it and always kept liking it and so they were always supportive oh yeah for sure square one when you were like I want to play music they were like yeah absolutely yeah my family's always been very supportive of all the musical things I've done and uh, continue to do. Uh, My mom was just at my show last night as she (laughs) likes to come to oh amazing Uh, yeah and um uh for sure. I mean, they've, they've always been there and supportive of all that stuff, but uh, it, it usually kind of shocks people. Besides, you know, her playing guitar, no one in my family plays in a serious way. There was almost like... Not never, a lot of musicians. Not really. Supposedly, my 
grandparents, um, my mom's dad had passed away before I was born. So I never met him and like some of his brothers and stuff who apparently played like they played socially with each other for fun. Yeah. Um, and I never really got to experience that, but supposedly they were all pretty good. But no one in my immediate family or currently plays in a real serious way. Sure. Yeah. Now, was that was that like hard because you didn't really have anybody to directly relate to in your family about it? Or was it just like there was support there so you didn't really have to? I didn't really think about it so much. I mean, when I was younger, um, I think I wanted to kind of come from a family like that because people ask you all the time. And I think yeah. it, it kind of yeah. makes you feel like it fits the whole narrative and the story and everything. But now I kind of do like it because it's I, I have my own thing. And I think, you know, being in that sort of environment, I've seen people that come from musical families and maybe you get like a different pressure or, or sure. it's kind of nice to have a little separation. You yeah, know? yeah, right. You're not sure. like the son of some God guitar player and you have to like be the best person ever in the world and, you know, such high pressure stakes. Yeah, and you can do your own thing. You know, I'm, I'm not as like... Um, influenced by you know what they have going on i you just kind of i was listening to the music that i like to listen to they listened to music but it was never it was like on like in the car we didn't it like was really... secondary it wasn't like they're coming home lighting a cigarette sitting on the couch listening to some records no you know? some families do listen to music more like that if we had like people over for dinner or something we'd have music on or we had like um like a backyard with a pool and like a speakers. We'd have music on if we had like friends over or right, something. Right. But it wasn't like a huge part, or it wasn't something that they pushed on me at like at all. You know, right. it was um, they like I was saying they they always were supportive of it, but it was just something that I kind of fell into, and it wasn't anything that anyone really told me to do or you know directed me into. Anything. Now, who was like obviously we had my generation. We had like school rock. We had all these like little rock and roll things, and it was kind of like the rebirth. They had all these Oz fests when I was a kid. Lots of festivals and concerts before the whole like festival circuit kind of existed sure. for Coachella before all those days when we were younger. Now, who was your like influences listening when you were young? Like who who did you listen to if, if your parents weren't weren't like, you know, obsessed with music? Um growing up I was into kind of the the classic stuff like Hendrix and Beatles and Zeppelin and a lot of classic rock kind of stuff. But like as a kid I listened to like whatever was on the radio like pop and hip hop and yeah, all the, yeah, yeah. the you know popular music Blink of the 182, time. 182, Britney Spears. Oh yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> Britney Spears was actually one of, I, I don't know if it's the first concert that I went to but Get out of it's here. one of the it's it's the first <laughs> big concert that I remember going to. Um, cuz I have a twin sister as well so yep, Danny. um shout out to Yeah, Danny. so we um we were looking at the list, I think, at, like, Jones Beach, and she really wanted to go. And I'm not going to lie, I wanted to go, too, because, like, at the time, you know, like, one of the biggest stars, too. Um, so I do kind of... she wasn't a bad looker back then, either. Yeah. <laughs> Britney Spears, when we were 10 years little, old, it was like, whoa, who is this? At least seemingly a little more mentally there, but, yeah. you know, who knows now. But, um, but yeah, no, it was great. Um, I had a good experience with that, for sure. So I usually kind of list that as one of my first... Uh, go-to concerts but do you get ripped for that in the music world some people do i don't care i think it's funny you know it, it doesn't matter um but yeah i was listening to when i started getting into music and kind of forming my own opinion and everything probably closer to when i was like 12 or like a preteen. um that's when i more started like started taking guitar more seriously i was listening to like i was saying like a lot of the go-to classic rock kind of things my dad usually had like classic rock radio on in the car Little dad rock going on yeah exactly so cargo shorts and dad rock yeah so i think when you're getting into guitar that's usually a clear kind of place to go and in the 90s it was very much you know usually you go back 20 30 years so it was like 60 70s was kind of like you know the popular music of the time right and also there was a lot of guitar driven music at that time like um you know nirvana and other you know kind of guitar driven things sure i was also then from there i got really into the long island scene music like um yeah punk and pop punk and emo and metal and all that kind of stuff yeah um in high school i remember really being into like mars volta and fall of troy sure and like like post-hardcore kind of stuff. Because I think before I had an idea of pushing music to like a theory level or like, you know, um, things being like crazy as they can, I think heavy was the first thing that I was drawn to as a thing that, right. um, that I related to and that kind of made sense. And a lot of it was faster kind of music and I like sure. playing, you know, like in that kind of way. So that was Convergy type stuff. Yeah, they were a big band for me for a while. Um, I mean, they put it in one box with one band, but I just remember back in the day, that was like the hot They were definitely the in there. Item. Yeah. yeah, and for whatever reason, our high school was kind of all into that music. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I don't think 
we didn't have quite that separation, I think, of like the cheerleaders and the jocks and like these people listen to this music and this sure. group listens to that. Everyone was kind of listening to like kind of cool indie bands, I feel like. Yeah. And there's obviously the pockets of people, you know, listening to whatever's popular or like things like that. But we had a surprising amount of people that were into like a lot of pretty cool, cool music. Yeah, which I'm sure helped, you know, develop all that and, and become good friends with people who also played music and so forth. Now, did you ever record anything in high school, or was it kind of you didn't really focus on that aspect? It was more just like jamming in bands with friends and, and getting together, playing music, playing some shows maybe? That was more what I was doing, yeah. I didn't really formally record anything, I think really until I started playing in the Montauk Project. I had attempted to record a couple of like solo things here and there, but for a long time, I was doing mostly kind of lead guitar sort of stuff in a band. Yeah. So I wasn't necessarily like the front of the band or writing, you know. Singer-songwriter. No, and right. I've, I've written songs with lyrics and stuff. You know, I've written songs where maybe it's just the guitar part and it kind of develops in a band. A lot of the bands I was in for a long time, we would write collectively. Typically, there was someone else who was the singer who would kind of piece that sort of stuff together. And I, I think I didn't really have the connection of understanding the full spectrum of things in terms of recording um because we we were kind of pre-youtube and pre like yeah our generation um, was kind of weirdly stuck right in the middle yeah so i i don't think i really kind of had any larger view than really just playing basement shows having fun with my friends because that's all i really saw like i just saw like um you know guys like james ryan and pat bach and tomas and like these guys playing in like you know, Northwest Woods, like, uh, crowded, like, basements <laughs> like and stuff. Like, punk show, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's more where my head was at, was just playing shows. Yeah. And then it's been something I've been more recently realizing is I need to get more serious about the recording aspect because you can only really push yourself kind of locally when you're playing. If it's like, okay, you want to hear me play, like, you got to be at this place at this time, sure. you know? Yeah, As yeah. opposed to, you know, you go on Spotify. Um, and I have music out there, but... Nothing currently under my formal name. It's all in like past projects, past, yeah. right? Projects, and things, things that I've like been that. in, right? And and when we were kids out here, there really wasn't a lot of musical places, right? I mean, you had like you could get together and like scrounge your bands together and like go rent Maidstone Pavilion, or you could like go get a gymnasium or something. Like if you bugged the school and you did it for a good cause, you could book the gymnasium, or you know you could do this or. You know, maybe Mike from Crossroads put together a few shows. I think he was essential when we were kids growing up out here just to have that resource and, you know, those kind of things. But that, I mean, was a big thing when we were there. There wasn't a whole lot. It was more so, like you said, basement shows and, and like, yeah. parties, really. I think that's something that happens a lot for younger people, like people who are playing that are more in their, like, teens, maybe even into your early 20s. It becomes a struggle because, uh, you know, the majority of money that you make is from food and alcohol sales. So it's, right. it's kind of hard to have underage people, you know, playing in venues. They used to do talk house. They would throw us a bone and would, like, let us do, like, a teen night kind of thing where it's, like, they knew Yeah, that, yeah, talk house would um, do that for, for, for bands. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we had some local, um, you know, guys in high school that would have a band together, play some covers and stuff. Um, and they were always nice about that sort of thing. But then, yeah, you're kind of limited to... Like when they do like a church event or when they do some sort of right. like, like you're saying, like Maidstone, like these local like. With no power, by the way, you carry your generators and then you hear generators in the back. <laughs> yeah, it's always like a fumbly thing. But you're yeah, you are kind of limited to these local things. And then you're really kind of cut down to just doing house shows and basement things, um, backyards, whatever you can really get your hands on. Right. I mean, and how cool is it being from out here where we're lucky as musicians in the sense where talk house was this avenue right and like some of the greatest musicians in the world have played at this place and you know grammy artists and, and all these different people and then we're like 16 year old kids and 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 peter's like yeah come on in or you know whoever it was nick at the time or wh whoever was running the show at talk house was like yeah let's give these kids just to give kids of that age that kind of shot of playing on the same stage that'd be like you know because they don't get that you can't just like call madison square garden or call friggin someplace up the island paramount or whatever like they don't do those kinds of things really talk house is unique that they allow musicians to have this creative outlet um for for free if not they pay if not they give you ticket sales yeah so they're very accommodating with that and they've given us musicians out here a, a life essentially for the past 
25, 30 years. I mean, it really is impressive that you can feel as a musician playing on the same stage as all these other people. You do feel a different energy when you step on that stage. Yeah, you know, they've always been really great about supporting both the national and local community. So, you know, there's obviously big national acts that play there, but um, there's probably more local and regional acts that play there consistently throughout absolutely um that really kind of set the backbone for the weekly schedule over there but yeah i started playing there when i was probably between maybe like 13 to 16 i started Mm. playing over there what was the first show like were you like shaking in your boots nervous or you oh for years i used to get crazy nervous and i would be like like physically shaking like not like you know stomach churning like real anxiety i used to get yeah i still get nervous but not to like a place where i can't play you know usually like every show after the first one two three songs you're kind of like in it and you're like okay but it still is one of those things you like get on stage like do i can i do this do i do this you know it's like right weird it's hard as the drummer because the drummer like you're automatically speeding up tempo i don't care who you are as a drummer i don't care how good you are every drummer live speeds it up slightly and i feel like that's so hard because when you're so fucking anxious as a drummer, everybody's depending on you to be like the, the heart and soul of the tempo. And then For you're sure. all hyped up and you're like, oh, and you're playing things freaking two times as fast as you should. Everybody's you looking at you crazy. Yeah. I think trying to be consistent is definitely one of the hardest parts. I yeah. try to now I, I try to focus on like I, I spend a lot of time doing a lot of noodly kind of things like lead sort of stuff over things. And I do play things different every time, but I've kind of realized the value of more in the past year or two of just playing a consistent part, not trying to like reinvent the wheel. And it's tough because it's really tempting to want to take something somewhere, but it doesn't always want to go there. Right. And, and it's, and it also depends on what project you're in, you know, if it's exactly. some like crazy wild project that has this like extract, um, you know, abstract feeling that's different. But if you're in like a tight group and they have songs and they have originals and you need to play by the book and you know, you're in tons of bands. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sometimes that way, sometimes the other way. So what projects are you currently in right now? I know you got a bunch going on, but, but start rattling. Um, the primary group I'm playing in right now is Annie Treza. She's a local girl from Montauk who writes her own original music. Yeah. Shout out to Annie. She's incredible. Yeah, she's great. You know, I started playing with her a couple of years ago and we become, you know, great friends through the process. So it's been, a lot more fun than just being like a hired gun kind of yeah, something. Yeah. And it's been Did nice. it start that way? Like as a hired gun and then, you, and then it just, you guys meshed? Sort of. I mean, we knew each other. Um, we had, she had been playing by herself for a while and was in the scene. And I was in the scene with other groups at the time. And we had crossed paths and we'd either played together. Maybe like she jumped up on a song. Oh, like that's I was, great. Yeah. yeah. So we had crossed paths and then it just worked out with the timing where I wasn't, in a major project at the time and then she'd asked if I wanted to do it and then it turned out to be a a great opportunity because she's almost never asked me to do anything specific she hired me to like do what I actually do which is something I'm trying to you know make a priority moving forward in my life as a musician is trying to have people want to hire me for the things that I want to do so then you're not ever really sacrificing what you're doing right yeah and I started learning different instruments. She like had me play violin. I, I grew up playing violin, but um, I started playing pedal steel more recently. And yeah, that's know, really cool. Tell us about that too, man. I ended up buying one over quarantine because I saw one online that was affordable, and they can get really expensive. Like the you know to get into it can be easily a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars. And there's yeah. a guy who had built one sort of with the idea of a lap steel player trying to learn how to play pedal steel but let me back up a little and just kind of explain what all that is so when you play slide guitar you know that you have like the the allman brothers where you're just putting a slide on a regular guitar yeah, yeah playing it how you would hold a regular guitar if lap style slide whether it's um lap steel dobro pedal steel you're playing it sitting down and flat it's, on your lap exactly yeah. so the style of how you play it's a little different for some reason i was never able to play that almond brothers style I, I usually have like really low action so i'd be like clunk 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 every time like i like oh, hit the yeah, frets yeah, yeah. it just never really melded with me and um when you don't play in open tuning it's also a lot harder playing in like standard on a guitar sure um so once i started playing in open tunings and playing lap style it all just kind of made sense to me so I was into bluegrass in college. I was getting a little kind of drowned out by studying jazz, and I just wanted to find something else that was fun, and it was like an improvisational type of music, but it was a little simpler in the chord changes, and it was a different 
kind of avenue to explore. Yeah. So I, I bought a Dobro, which is like the guitar version of like a, a lap style thing. Then I got the lap steel, which is like the electric version of that. Then I got this guitar that um, I got from uh, Randolph Hudson III, if you, if you know him. Yeah. Um, he, uh, it was a Telecaster with these hand benders. So it was supposed to like mimic a pedal steel. And then I finally got a pedal steel. That's in. Uh, yeah, I got a pedal steel in quarantine because I finally found a, a decent one. It was kind of built almost in this weird ideal way of like someone who was exactly in the, the world that I was in. <laughs> so yeah, they were, they were you um, and you, yeah. And I'm actually looking uh, to upgrade now to the next level too. What's it like spending all your money on music stuff? It's, <laughs> as me it's, as a photographer, yeah. media guy, I spend all my money on media or photography, if not, and then it's going to drums, whatever's extra. So It's great and not great. At least I can validate you know, spending some of that money because I do have a career and I can use that as an excuse. But yeah. I'm not as big a gear guy as some people are. I, I tend 72 to have, pedals and you know. I have a lot of pedals, but um, <laughs> I have three electric guitars currently. And oh, that's, so that's not a lot. No, for, that's for a lifelong guitar player. That's not no, I, I just kind of feel like I, I can't really, I don't what's have your the, lineup. I have um, the Zoot Suit SG, which I've had for a while. Yep. I have a GNL Telecaster, and I have like an Ibanez hollow body where I put flat wounds on and kind of do like a jazz thing with that. There's nothing like a twangy Telecaster, dude. That's it's, like my I get favorite. all my sounds from all those three things. I tend to like one guitar, one amp. I get like used to a certain setup. And then someday I'll just wake up and be like, I don't want to do this at all. And I'll play another. It's like one of those <laughs> weird kind of what, things. What's your amp? Um, I've been playing a Dr. Z amp, which I think is made by this builder in Ohio. Hmm. Um and I really like it. It's a little bulky. I'm looking to kind of size down to like a Fender type of thing. That's yeah, a little like smaller. A little, yeah. Most of the gigs I'm playing don't require as big an amp. Power. Yeah. And then the ones that, that do, they usually have an amp there. So it's yeah. like I kind of don't really need it, but it sounds great. So Ex- I, really, I really love it. Especially at a place like Talk House or something. They're always going to have good stuff and, and good equipment. I was bringing my amp for a while, and I finally realized like – all the stuff they have here is just as good or better. Yeah, so. and, and whatever you're going to do, you're going to put it through pedals. You're going to put it through all these different things that are going to make it sound different anyway. So it's like yeah. you're, you're manipulating the sound no matter what. That's really. the only benefit of using your amp is sometimes the pedals will hit your amp a little bit differently. But oh, okay, really, yeah. I don't really have like these dramatic sounds that I'm using. I'm using kind of you know more or less kind of basic uh, sounds that people are, are using, like delay and reverb. and dis- like I don't even really use a lot of distortion. Yeah. Um, I usually just use like a little bit of overdrive or something. Yeah. Now, when and I'm and just kind of ask nonchalantly, really, when did you know that you had a gift? Like, when when did it hit you to realize, like, holy shit, like I I play better than most people. Like I I can and not not in like a cocky way, but I'm saying like you noticed that you know holy shit, I can actually play all these things very articulately, whereas some people struggle with these things. I don't know. I think. Um when I first started playing guitar, I was a kid, so it wasn't something I was really thinking yeah, about. Yeah, it wasn't then. Yeah. Yeah, I would say probably sometime in my mid to late teens, I started getting a little bit more attention from people. And without me being outward about it, I would have people approaching me, right. either asking me to do things, or I would have teachers say, like, you should do this. Or um, I remember I was taking lessons at Sag Harbor Music Shop, and uh, someone had come up to my parents and said, like, your kid's pretty good, but I think if you want to have him get to the next level, you should talk to this guy, Bosco. And then that's Bosco. really, that was a big change. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's great, obviously. Um, and we still bump into each other pretty often. Yeah. But um, that was one of the, the things that kind of pushed me to the next level as well, was really kind of getting in touch with him. Yeah. That's amazing. And just while we're talking about this, I bring this all up, not Jack. Jack is, if you talk to him, one of the most humble will not tell you he's even a guitar player. Like, he's very humble about what he does. So, um, you know, that's why I bring it up. Because, like, I know that you wouldn't sit there and be like, oh, I can play better than all these people. No, no, Jack's not that kind of guy. But it's amazing the gift that you have and uh, what you've done with it. So let's take a little turn from this. Let's talk about, like, music theory in general. Now, like, the more advanced style of, of what kind of got you into that theory of music and, and really kind of bending and molding different, you know, aspects and different training styles and different techniques i think i've always been drawn to kind of upper level academic music and that side of things i'm not really sure why i've just always been drawn to you know uh fast playing and you know kind of flashy things and things that are pushing harmony and you know create these kind of different layers of consonants and dissonance 
but I, I don't know. I think what kind of inspired me was there was all these bands that I was listening to in the sort of Long Island scene where a lot of times it was metal bands because there's metal bands that kind of uh, verge on like progressive stuff, like yeah, prog, rocky yeah, yeah. kind of thing. And I kept hearing people say, um, I feel like people use the term jazz when they want to describe anything that's just like a upper level thing or anything that's, that's outside, anything right. that's like outside of pentatonic or like, um, you know, <laughs> right. so I, I kept hearing people say that term and it kind of, you know, got me into, you know, li- trying to learn that type of music and getting into the real book. And that was kind of the same time I started taking lessons with Bosco and, um, you know, that really pushed my interest in that. And then I went on to study music in college and that yes. kind of kept that going. Yeah. So yeah. that's always been a, like important aspect to me, but it's also one of those things that's only as important as what you're trying to do. And for me, I probably don't even really need to do that, but I like to do it for my, for my own playing and just what I like to do. Yeah. And, and Jack is a graduate of the Berkeley School of Music in Boston. And obviously, if you graduate from Berkeley, you're a very serious musician. Um, and my buddy Dylan Santacola also graduated from Berkeley, who wrote the theme song. So I know you guys spent some time. Yeah, for sure. There. Dylan and I played in a, a band together for a while as well. So, oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it's so when you when you take that, you said that was d- kind of honing it was Berkeley. That kind of like because when you go to Berkeley, it's like you walk into a room. Now you're no longer the best guy in the room. Now there's like holy shit, there's a couple of Jack Marshalls in this room. Not literally because everybody's yeah. unique and has their own sound and and style. But you're like wow, there's a lot of talent around me right now. This is not like high school. You that know? was the <laughs> first time that I ever experienced being more in the middle because you know we we sure. grew up in an area where there's like a good couple thousand people you know that live yeah. out here. And there wasn't a crazy competition and, you know, I didn't really have a lot of people challenging me or a lot of peers that I could really work with. Um, Most of my bands in high school in the early stages would be me teaching somebody how to play like the bass. I'm like, I'm going to teach you how to play bass. I'm going to write the parts for you. (laughs) We're going to like make (laughs) up like I tried so hard just like make it uh, make it work. But um, I think. Because you were so passionate about music, you didn't care what it took. You just wanted I just wanted to, to be play. in a band. Yeah. I just you know I, I wanted to to do something like that. I would go to these Meaningful. like yeah, yeah I would go to these shows like up island and like uh, see all these bands and you know kind of wanted to do something that was larger in life and just uh, bigger than myself. And I kind of saw that in these these projects that I was seeing. Yeah. And, and what was, like, the first group? Did you get together with, like, a bunch of cats that were, like, super serious and, and you, that's kind of, like, how you honed it in Berkeley? Or was it, like, uh, more so just classes and, like, learning and, and the actual theory and, and professors teaching you? It was more classes and more than anything just being around other people. Um, I'd attempted to make a couple of bands, but it's really tough because <coughs> everyone's doing their own thing and everyone's really hyper-focused on what they want to do. So it's almost like having too many cooks in the kitchen, right. you know, it's like every group would be a super group. So you get a lot of people, you know, um, that have different opinions on things and also egos. you're also busy with school. So I kind of accepted at the time right. that, um, I wish I had spent more time trying to put music out then, but I kind of thought of it at, just like college in any other sense, I'm here to study and I'm here to learn this information so that I can then go out and then make some kind of project or then do something. So that wasn't as big a focus for me at the time. But I think the, the biggest thing I learned was really just being around other people because they're taking other classes and they're doing this and saying, oh, do you got to check out this artist or you got to te- check out like this style of playing or this technique or this concept over this chord change. Yeah. So just being in that group, it also makes you, you know, want to play as well as you can when you're around people that you know know what's going on and they know what you're playing and they can they have a reference for that um when you're playing a concert you never know who you're playing for sure yeah yeah, exactly the audience could be this way or that way it's unless it's your own show or your own thing that was curated for you it's hard like especially when you like festivals and things like that you never know kind of what you're playing out against and the average concert you're going to play is most likely going to be not too formal musicians you know the average sure, crowd sure it's just regular people right exactly yeah so they don't see it in that same eye or that same ear as you would or, or your band would i mean maybe it's hard to say i mean to me it's more about the idea of what the overall sound is because the thing that i think a lot of people get hung up on music theory is music theory is supposed to explain what happened afterwards so a lot mm. of people use it to validate what they are doing but you could technically do something on paper that would make sense that doesn't sound great. Or you could play with bad tone or, you know, not 
have a good inflection or phrasing or right. whatever that thing might be. So that doesn't always correlate to sounding good. Yeah. Now, what is your favorite part about actually building the song? Like, wh- what what is that process like in actually building a song out? Do you start with one way every time, or does it kind of just, like, literally you'll just be tapping on a line and you'll do some little doodle noodle and then you're, all of a sudden, now you're writing a bridge or now you're writing, like, what's that process? It happens different for different bands that I'm in. So some bands, we write music together. A lot of the bands that I'm playing in now, uh, this has typically been the case for most of the bands I've been in where... Somebody has a formal idea, whether it's like a full song, a half-finished thing, maybe a verse or a chorus or something, Yeah. and then you kind of piece it together, or what will happen, like often, um, for instance, with Annie Trezza, she writes the song, and I we come in and just write our parts to that song. Right. So, right. Um, like a band that I'm in, like Whaleheart, uh, that project, it usually is Matt or Chris coming in with a formal song, but we you know, write parts a little more together yeah. um, and approach it in more of that sort of band aspect or might say like, hey, what if we did this here? I love that it, man. There? You guys are great. Yeah, thanks. Shout out to Chris Clark and <laughs> Devlin Webb and your boys. Yeah. Awesome. What's uh, what's your two Instagrams for those two bands you're currently in now, just so the listeners out there can check you guys out? Yeah, you can find, uh, it's at Annie Trezza for all of her music. Whaleheart is at the band Whaleheart. Okay. And then for all my personal stuff, I have uh, Jack Marshall Music for just my personal things and uh, day-to-day and where I'm playing and everything. And this then, is Instagram, guys, just yeah, to just yeah. say it out there. Instagram. And then uh, Jack Marshall Guitar is what I do for just uh, content. Uh, okay. Just, just, guitar, just guitar stuff because I kind of wanted to separate the two. Guitar parts. Yeah, well, because I, I find <laughs> I was posting like, I'm at the beach or here's like a, you know, a flower, some food I'm eating or something. Yeah. And I was like, I kind of need to separate those worlds. And yeah, then I it think to have it all guitar related. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the only other things I'm doing, um, I've been playing with Julia King. I think it's Julia King music on Instagram. Yeah. She's a girl from the North Fork who writes her original music. Uh, so I've been playing a little more in that area. And then big karma. Uh, we do a lot of grateful dead almond brothers type of stuff. Super fun. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you can find that, um, on Instagram as well. Yeah. Big karma. And, how do you kind of choose these types of bands to play in? I mean, I know people just ask you because you're such a good musician. They're like, hey, we'll ask Jack and we have dates available. But is it like, did you want to be in all these projects at once or was it kind of just like you love being in all of them at once? Is it, you have the time for it? It's Is it hard to manage? Um, You make time to do it. I, I work full time on top of playing in these different groups, so it does get tough to to manage those different things. I'd say the majority of it was people asking me, but it's people asking me within the context of a group of musicians that I mostly know. And uh, appreciate of, and respect. Yeah. And uh, the majority of people I play with are people who are my friends first. So it usually right. is, it, it kind of comes from that. You're all kind of hanging out. Mm. And just to be realistic, there's only so much of a pool here to really grab from, you sure. know. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I enjoy all the projects I'm in. Uh, and I'm you know fortunate enough to only be doing things that, that I like to do. And I've been trying to position myself in that sort of way. And um, the nice thing is when you do that and you try to do it for your career, you don't have to sacrifice doing things you don't want to do and kind of going in a different direction. This podcast episode is brought to you by Freedmind Fabrications is a custom jewelry and metalsmith studio out of Colorado, owned and operated by Nathaniel Fife. Nate has been designing and creating custom pieces for clients since 2013. Custom pendants, wedding bands, engagement rings, necklaces, bracelets, earrings, grills, and more. Nate can bring any idea you have to life. I've personally owned a piece from Nate for almost 10 years, and it's held up through all of my travels around the world. Highly educated listeners have been given a special discount of 10% off all of his work by using the code Highly educated at checkout on his website, freedmindfabrications.com. That's highly educated, all lowercase, one word. Promotion is valid for a limited time only. Freedmindfabrications.com. Yeah, and Jack was actually saying here he works at Innersleeve Records, which is a local record shop in Amagansett, New York, and badass collection of records in that place. A lot of cool stuff in that place. And you guys are going to be doing a little expansion uh, at some point and doing some some new things too. Yeah, that's correct. So I've been over there. I think I'm going on my sixth year over there. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's been a great experience working over there. And we are going to be doing an expansion pretty soon. 
we had a couple of setbacks that we didn't foresee originally, but um, it seems like we've gotten past those hurdles. <coughs> Town. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I just sneezed. Sorry. Apologize, guys. Yeah, it's like a lot of the typical stuff, but um, <laughs> we got past all the, the hurdles that we had to get past, and I think we're able to do it now, but we just wanted to wait until after the summer so we don't have to close down for any amount of time during, sure. yeah. during the summer when it's the height of the season. Right. You got to make the summer money. People are trying to buy them records in the summer, baby. Yeah. And it's been great working over there because, you know, I growing up, I, I had my experience practicing all the time and then went through the, you know, the college years of practicing. And then I got back into town again and was playing in different bands and kind of put my hours into that. And then I've kind of come back full circle where at the store I've had all this time to really dive deep into bands and records and different things and kind of fill in those You're just gaps. surrounding yourself with music basically at all times. Yeah, sometimes I just sit in silence, like when I have my car. Sometimes <laughs> I don't put on – I listen to a lot of podcasts too because I get kind of – It's like the opposite of any other person. They like want music to pass time and you're like, no, 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 I've had enough for this week. Thank you. <laughs> I know a lot of people who talk about the silent ride after the gig. You know, cause oh, some, yeah. Yeah, because sometimes you just need to, need to chill. I put on a lot of podcasts too because it's still something that you can listen to where it's not – the problem for me you is... You listen to a lot of Highly Educated with Ryan Sherman. Oh, yeah, only, yeah, of course. Only. <laughs> <laughs> Exclusively. I've been in that moment, and I've... Like, it was funny. We were doing this uh, over the summer, um, and, you know, I was listening to some song after the band I just played, and I'm listening to the songs after I just played the show, and I'm sitting to myself, I'm like, what am I doing to myself? I've just practiced and played these, and now I'm in the car listening to them again because I torture. I'm like, you know what? I fucked that part up, so I have to listen to this again. You know, and I'm like torturing myself. But like, no, dude, you just messed up that one little thing. Like, you're good. You don't have to re-listen to it seven times. But that's one of the best things you can do is listen to either yourself or the recording afterwards because there's always something you're gonna miss. There's always something that you don't hear in the moment, and it works both ways because there's times where I think that. There's something that I really messed up, and it's fine. And there's times where I think I really hit something, and it doesn't hit the same way. Yeah, um, yeah. I've been recording myself more, both so I can just have you know content for all the social media stuff in the world right. we live in. It's endless. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's easy to do it when you're playing because then I don't have to sit like set up the whole thing, sit down. You know, like what am I gonna play today? And right. Um, it's easy just to do it for shows. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it doesn't get any better ever watching yourself. There's always something that you're gonna <laughs> catch, but it is right. it's good. You gotta do it so that you can know what you're actually sounding like if you want to have a reference for that. Yeah. And then speaking on like actual teaching of music, you teach music and, and you teach music to kids, you teach music to adults. I mean, I'm sure you teach a lot of people. What's the process of teaching music like? How rewarding, is that a very rewarding experience because you yourself have kind of been through that process? It can be. It's something that I'm a little bit less focused on these days just because I've found that with my current work schedule, um, the only time I really have consistently is mornings and a lot of people just aren't really free. Available, a lot yeah. of kids really want to do the afternoon sort of thing, but mm. I'm either typically working or I play a lot of like gigs and things around that time. So I got one or two students, um, that I teach now and similar to the gigs and bands that I'm in, I, I'm a little more selective of who I pick so that I, I'm only working with people that I enjoy working with. Um, it can be rewarding and it can be not rewarding depending on who you're working with. Sure. Yeah. Um, cause you're dealing with people's personalities and you're dealing with, you know, maybe someone who doesn't want to do it, partic particularly kids, you know, sometimes they don't always want to do it. The attention, parents... attention span can only go so far. And they, right. Like you said, the parents might push them in. It's less even about the personality too. And what I find more is you do tend to work more with kids. Their schedules just change because their life is so hectic with school and right. all these different classes. They're growing so quick. All these things are happening. Then yeah. you're driving out to Montauk and then Watermill, and then they say, <laughs> oh, sorry, like, I, this kid has uh, tennis this day, so now we got to change the day. And you're, you're moving your schedule around all the time. So it's a lot. It became more of a headache for me. Yeah. Um, but I do enjoy it overall. And when you do get a good student, it can be really re rewarding for sure. Yeah, to have them, like, you're seeing somebody that you're teaching, and they're blossoming into, like, what you're teaching them, and they're, and they're, they're going off what you're teaching, and they're, and they're learning from you, and obviously there's a lot to learn when it's a guy like yourself teaching. Yeah, I mean, your schedule right now, I mean, what, are you playing, like, 80% of summer nights you're playing in a band? I feel like you have so many gigs. It depends on how it works out. So for some reason, I have a lot of gigs where it'll be three or four days in a row, and then you're off for a week, and then you have two gigs, and then you're off for a day, and it's it's very kind of yeah haphazard. Yeah, because you're kind of at the mercy of the venue when they're available, when you're available. Um, you know, I'm playing in four or five different groups, so 
each one of those groups has four or five people who are playing. So when are they available? And are it, we all there that day? Is that can everybody make that? Can we do that? Yeah, it's it's yeah. It can it's be a lot. lot to juggle. I mean, I definitely am looking forward to in hopefully the next couple of years being able to just do that so that you're not having the stress of work and playing the gig as well. But yeah, you know, for now it, it works out and it's nice having you know the security of doing something during the day. So then, like I was saying before, you don't have to be doing, I don't have to do as much weddings. I don't have to do these like, you know, events Little I don't want to do. Used yeah. To do. Yeah. Now yeah. it's more so you're doing stuff that you like to do for in your fun, but while also getting paid with exactly. people you respect. And that's important to me too, because unfortunately when you do it for your career, you do have to think about the, you know, financial monetary aspect mm-hmm. of the whole thing. And burnout. Yeah. And I think about a lot of, you know, the idea of, trying to enjoy it and trying to have it be something of the, have it be the the thing that was the reason why you started in the first place. And it definitely can stray from that when you start doing too many things that are not what you want to do. Cause then at some point you're almost like, why don't I just be a lawyer or a doctor or just make like actual money? <laughs> instead right. Of, you know, right. Like, what am I, what am I doing here? Yeah. yeah. So to pivot a little bit here back to kind of localism, the Hamptons music scene, right? What have you noticed about it kind of since we were in high school change from then to now? Do you notice anything that's kind of inherently different? I think the music scene itself has kind of remained the same. I think it's more the town that's really changed. I think, you know, you've also grown up in this area. So even in our lifetime, we've seen the dramatic shift of the extreme of how many more people are coming out here in the summer. So I think the only real change that I've seen is it really has shifted to – you're kind of a commodity. You're more like something, uh, you're a person who's playing for people in a resort area. So that tends to lead to a lot of cover stuff. Jimmy Um, Buffett and friggin', you know. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's always a big aspect of the scene that we live in out here, which can be tough for original musicians in some aspects. But, um, I think a lot of it's really been the same. It's a lot of this, like the same people that I've seen. And I think for, the area that we do live in, it does seem that we have a pretty supportive scene of people that, you know, help each other out as much as possible. Of right, course, musician to musician. Yeah, it's very supportive. Of course, there's going to be people that, you know, have an opinion or a little cutthroat about something. In my experience, it's mostly been people that have been helping each other out. There's tons of open mics and opportunities for people to do things. But I think it can be a little tough to break into the scene, um, especially if you're not from around the area. It's just, it's very clicky. Yeah, um, we don't. We're not very easy on letting new people in here. We're we're a little <laughs> we're a little guarded, I guess is the best way yeah. to say. But I, I think there's a lot of great opportunities here. The double-edged sword of being out here is that you can actually make decent money playing music. Like if you live in New York City, you know, if, uh, if you make fifty bucks at a gig, that can be a good night for a lot of people. And right. out here, you can actually make money to where you can have a career. The problem is, it's harder push your career forward out of this area if you don't get out of the area. Because there's a lot less exposure. So it depends per, on... Per, per, like, per numbers. Yeah. Exactly. And, I mean, I think a lot of the people that are seeing live music out here, they're going as a secondary thing to be entertained at a different thing. So you're, sure, at, you're sure. at a restaurant, you're at a vineyard, you're at a bar. So a lot of times people aren't even necessarily coming for you. They're coming for this thing, and you're hired to entertain these people. So yeah. I think the nature of that is always going to lead to certain types of music. You got a lot of these cover bands and 90s bands and uh, you know, kind of top 40 sort of thing. I think that's always going to have like a certain market in this area. Absolutely. Um, I mean, look at the nightlife at Talk House. I mean, Hello Brooklyn and, and Rubik's Cube and all those guys. I mean, they're, they just pack the place at, at there but they're, like you said it's funny yeah. it's like people go to see hello brooklyn because now they've established like a big name for themselves but for sure but it's like you go there not you go there because you're going to talk house on a saturday and that just so happens like people are there and they're jamming out you walk in you're like oh shit you know, i think they've dropping. actually gotten to a point where they do draw based on their name oh they draw yeah absolutely but yeah. there's people like you know um Nancy Atlas and Gene Casey, who have been playing for years, they're still packing out places. And yeah, come yeah, every local musicians, week. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are doing a lot of great things musically out here. I think it depends on what you're trying to do and what you're trying to get out of it. Yeah. So if you are trying to push your career, you do need to get out of the area into places where people are trying to see more original music and more exposure. Uh, yeah. And also it's like, you know, I go out and play and it's like my friends there, maybe like my mom or sister or like a mm. like family member comes. It's good to play to people that are not in your area as well. Cause that's the only real metric you can use to know if, if someone comes up to you at a show unbiased right, and says, right. you know, nice job. It's a little bit 
little different than when your mom says like nice job you know so yeah oh honey nice job there's yeah. a peanut butter sandwich in the fridge when you get home later yeah, exactly yeah yeah it's 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 hard to have that that separation when yeah. you're from the small town and and like you said it really is about the exposure versus the creativity and kind of collaborative efforts because when you come to this town think about how artists migrated here right like you look like Jackson Pollock Willoughby yeah. Cooning all these artists they migrated out here for the beauty and the scenic and the nature and and all these things and because there was an artist community that kind of developed and blossomed here so you had you know the guys at the bar talking to other artists you had other people collaborative efforts and, and communicating and it's kind of the same thing with music right like we have this undercurrent of musicians and creative talent and to your point it's like there is some launch pads, some avenues, but for the most part, it's really musicians looking out for each other and, and kind of making these things together. Oh, let's do an open mic together. Oh, let's get this little thing. Let's get this going. You know, a lot of it's uh, uh, musician-driven or musician-based, I would say. For sure. I think the community overall is, is really supportive. I think it can be a little tougher for younger people who are kind of breaking into the scene just because there are artists that have been playing for such a long time that have established themselves and they get in the same <clears throat> venues every right. year and you get into that Rolodex, but... Once you break into the scene, if you're active enough and getting out there, I've almost never seen anybody out here that hasn't been able to play. Even somebody who's not, you know, looking to do something crazy professional. If you were just active and a like easy to talk to, nice person, you can play out here easily and people will support you for sure. Right. Just walk up to the bar owner and say, hey, man, here's my card. This is what I sound like. Give me a ring if you want a book. You know, it's a lot easier than people think to approach these people they want i mean you're the one that's bringing people into the bar if if you know if you have a little bit going on i mean so you could maybe be providing entertainment for the bar whereas vice versa they think they're hiring you but really you're bringing them some business too so it, it could be yeah. mutually beneficial for some of these bars and venues and such it can be tough to draw at first that's definitely an issue oh yeah, for yeah. A once lot you of become people. established yeah but the difference is so a place like the talk house they run you know how a regular venue would which you you it's based off of the ticket sales and things like that. The other big difference between where we live and somewhere else like the city is a lot of times you're playing at a restaurant or a bar where it's not based on sales. It's based on just people being there in general. Mm. And there's some places like, for instance, um, you know, if we play them on talk it, there's always going to be people there, you know, so your job yeah. is to yeah. obviously you know, they want you to bring people, but your job is to entertain the people that are there. So that's a little bit of a di different dynamic than a lot of places where if you play in the middle of the island or New York City, they'll tell you, you got to bring, you know, 10, 20, 40 people or you have to pay the difference or you have to do all sorts right, of different. Right, There's like hoops to jump through. Or you got to even, um, like, if you play certain venues, you'll just get whatever of the door. So sure, say sure, if yeah, you bring seventy like percent or whatever, or if you bring ten people, you know you get what the percentage of that is. There are venues that will say you don't even get paid until you bring twenty people. So the right. first twenty so, is right. So your yeah, first, yeah. Uh, now, what was the first gig you ever remembered getting paid for? Probably some kind of private party as like a teenager, where someone hired me, you know, just to kind of play with some friends or like a cocktail thing or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Maybe at the talk house. I don't know if... if Got a we, crisp $50 bill? Yeah, I think maybe at the talk house when I was younger. Um, but probably some kind of private thing, you know, for like a backyard something or other. Someone just trying to throw you a bone. But right. I've been just doing it for so long now. It's so, it's so much possible. less... It's been blurring so much together. <laughs> yeah, it's like I can't even remember what I did last week with all the gigs I'm playing, you know. Now, do you have that one moment you can think of in your head that was the most exciting, like biggest crowd you ever played for, most exhilarating? Like, was there, do you remember that moment kind of vividly? I don't think there's one, but there's a couple that I can think of. I mean, some of the best moments are really when you're just at a hole in the wall venue and everyone's just really into it and you're just having a great time. Uh, even now, just playing a place like the Talk House when it's your friends and it's packed. Um, playing the, the Montaukit, those are some of the more fun nights for me. Yeah. I think um, just a couple that kind of stick out to me. When I was in the Montauk project, we went down to South by Southwest. I was there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you were, you were there with Tafa. <laughs> yeah, I, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, with yeah, T-Shine yeah, back yeah, in the day. We, we went back down there yeah. to do some stuff. That was cool. Yeah, I, I totally forgot. Yeah, I just uh, put that together. You were there with us. But <laughs> yeah, no, that was fun. I almost slept in your van. Yeah, no, we that considered was a... It. That was a but you guys already had four people in the van, so it was a little for crowded. sure. That was a great time, <laughs> and then I think the other time was probably uh, the first time I played at the Paramount, uh, opening up for Marshall Tucker Band. That's that's 
that's pretty damn epic. That was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, and that was the first. I, I remember the one thing about that one was we were upstairs in a green room. We had our own green room separate from the band and um, se- separate from Marshall Tucker, of course, because they got their own space. Right, right. And we're sitting there just kind of, you know, talking and getting ready. And this guy comes in. You know those, like, uh, they're usually, like, green or blue, like those coolers with, like, the like rope handles on them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy just comes in with one of those filled to the brim with, like, beers just on ice like like a hundred beers in there <laughs> and that was like in my 20 something year old mind i was like i made it you know like, i like, made it like, there's know, green like, m&ms in yeah, the bowl yeah, there's so cooler full of beer that was a great experience and then uh, doug gray from marshall tucker came in and, and talked to us for a while which oh, was a lot wow. of fun um and then luckily i got to play there a couple more times which was a lot of a lot of fun one paramount time, you said the paramount in, yeah, huntington. in huntington that's a that's you know one great. of the honestly it's probably the venue on long island besides like talk house for like another Another like, but that's, I mean, Paramount's obviously a lot larger, yeah. um, but that's a real like kind of arena venue. Really. I've had a, a, always a great time over there. Everyone's always really nice. They always take care of you. They always have food and, you know, drinks and help you out. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that that's probably the two that stick out to me the most. But like I was saying, I think, you know, it might sound like corny or cliche, but some of the best nights are just when you're in like a random town or even your local town and it's just like that crowded small bar that you're playing at or you, th- those are always the most fun nights for me and you get the props and you, and people come up and they're like dude fucking sick job and it's, they've already seen you play a hundred times but it's it's great every single time there's no like there's no like oh i already saw jack play 20 times in my life like i can still go into one of your shows and i've seen you play a hundred times and I, it's still the same whack in the face effect of like holy shit man this kid's so good you know Thanks. i appreciate it <laughs> i mean i try i also play very like improvisationally so i try not to play the same thing so i'm always trying to add different ideas to what i'm doing because you can get stale doing that but then we actually talked before you were saying like it's kind of rough when you get because then because then if you're you're too um out of the box then it's hard to kind of keep that consistency mentally to kind of come to every show with it and and be prepared in the right way but you said that was more so when you were younger and you had the anxious feelings and such i you know i still struggle with that because i'm always trying to noodle on something and find a different direction but there's certain gigs where you know you're there and you're like, okay, there's not that many people here. Maybe I'll try some idea out or something. But I've been trying to subscribe more to the idea recently of really playing consistently. That's a big thing because I think once you get to a certain level as a musician, you don't typically get exponentially better after a certain point. But mm. what I've been focusing on is being more consistent. So it's about, um, you know, your phrasing, not playing too hard, not hitting that like clam note or when you hit that open string on accident or sure. something like that yeah. those are the things that make me cringe when i watch all those videos that i record like on my stupid things where you're like come on man i know come on, Jack. exactly and it never goes away i mean you always hit one you know clam or wrong note yeah. every single gig well i'm assuming musically you're a perfectionist you know yeah i try to be i mean it's a blessing and a curse because it helps you out but you know it can drive you crazy if you spend too much time thinking about it do you have the lovely pairing of ocd to go with this Probably, yeah. Yeah, you're like, yeah, self-diagnosed. <laughs> yeah, 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 probably, yeah. absolutely. Um, I have OCD, so welcome to the club, yeah. baby. We're all in. Um, but what about like a, a – we were talking about this too. What about like if the town decided, hey, we're going to make like a school of music, kind of like school of rock. How come there was never that conversation ever, you think? I think there's certain places. There's people who are doing it privately, you know, private companies who are doing stuff like that. I think it's just tough when it comes into like a town thing because it has to go through different elements. And I think a All lot of it channels is, and stuff. It's also just gauging the interest of the people. I think nowadays it's a little tougher because um, I think I think people always want to play uh, formal instruments. But I think a lot of younger kids are leaning more towards um, things driven by computers and DJing and making beats and all those different kind of things. So I think. If they were to do it today, I think there's probably a different way to go about it. But they, they do have certain things like that. Um, I don't know specifically through like the community, but I know they have like a lot of different private kind of things you can do. In that private sort of... sign-up camp, rock yeah, camps. Yeah, for rock sure. Camps I worked at like one that. of them for a little bit at the Raw School, um, and there's a couple of different things out there. Might not be as accessible for people if it's the Raw School, I guess, but no offense to the Raw School. It's just yeah. kind of expensive. Um, but yeah, it's good that they even have that opportunity for those who can afford it. You for know? sure. Um now, let's really kind of wrap up to talk about, like, the evolution of tech, like, in music. Like, how has that transformed a little bit? Like, I'm sure there's a lot easier tools now than there was available before in terms of, like, recording and gadgets and things and such. Talk to us a little bit about that and how that's evolved. 
it's definitely more accessible to be a musician now more than ever. Um, you know, I think we were talking a little bit earlier about we both grew up before the internet was prominent, and right, also right. like even when I was watching, they YouTube, like barely had GarageBand, right? No, and there just wasn't even when it was out for a while. Like you would go on YouTube, there wasn't all these people breaking down things, right? Like, like tutorials. Oh, this is how you, exactly how you do it, and now you can type in anything, and you can learn how to you know pick the right instrument, how to dial something in, how to get the exact tone of a certain person, you know, down to the exact fingering of something. Um, so that was something that I kind of missed out on, but. It's hard to say because you do have to go to the source if you don't come from that world. So right. I think it overall is beneficial to the you know community at large for people to have these things because it makes it easier for people to learn anything across the board. Um, and not everybody comes from the same means or ability to have certain things or maybe you don't have um, you know musicians in your community or whatever thing that you're trying to do. Um, but yeah, it's crazy just in our lifetime, how things have flipped and I'm not even, you know, I don't even know half the things that you can do with all the technology that's out there. I'm right. still, I'm still a plug your guitar into the amp kind of, kind of guy <laughs> besides all the pedals, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit out of that world. Yeah. You know? I mean, leading to that, what about the new two letters that everybody's all hot and crazy about AI? I mean, obviously AI is a far more dangerous for many other reasons, politically, et cetera. Um, can be very dangerous because it can be mimicked, et cetera. You won't really know who's talking versus this person, real person, fake, et cetera. But music, we're finding that almost instantly people are getting ripped off, copyrighted, all these things immediately kind of washed into the, the path. H how do you feel about that? I think there's always going to be things that are adapting. So we're going to have to learn how to adapt in this new world with, with AI. But I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and I think when you think about it, there's always been an element of, you know, being able to make music electronically. So, um, I mean, well, not always, but, you know, in the past uh, however many years. So we've already been able to make sounds and been able to make uh, music in general that are not based on real instruments. You can manipulate the sounds. Even, like, I was talking to somebody about, do you know what the, the those player pianos? So it's like... Oh, they, yeah, yeah, they, they automatically play, they have, yeah. Yeah, so it's like... like honky-tonk in the back of the day, yeah. This was, like, maybe even, like, you know, 50, 100 years ago, yeah. like a novelty in a bar. You put you type in these little holes where it would represent the notes and the piano would play as a novelty, but people would write... Um, you can go on YouTube and people make all these crazy like compositions and stuff, yeah. and they're impossible to play. So we've already been in a place for a long time where things can be played that are beyond what humans are able to do. We're able to manipulate sounds in a certain way. You can use auto-tune. You can use all these EQing things. You can sure processors with and synths and all these different things. Um, so I'm not as worried about it because I feel like we've already kind of had our foot in the door. I think the thing is more saying something like, okay, write a, um, I think what's going to happen more in the music world is something like this. Like I need a four bar drum beat with a funky bass line to put in between, uh, this little cut for a podcast or a movie, or like you see like a Netflix show and they kind of pan the camera and they have like, a, like, duh, 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 duh. and then it goes, I think, sure. I think people are going to use it more for that in the beginning. Um, it'll I, almost like replace royalty music. I don't know how it's going to work when eventually, you know, that someone's going to write a full or some AI generated things going to write a full song. And I don't know how it's going to work in terms of who owns that. Or if you told AI to do that, do you own that? That part, I don't really know. Right. That's a whole other aspect. Like does the company who developed the AI own it or do you own it? Or do you, you, when you download the app or something or go on that website, do you click that little box with a million little terms and conditions? And in those little fine prints, does it say they own this shit for the rest of your life? You know, like you don't know. It's hard. Yet. I mean, I could type in a bunch of just random notes on a piano and learn how to play it. But does that mean that, you know, <clears throat> I, I don't own it because I didn't necessarily sit down and consciously make that. It's like, I don't know. Sure. Yeah, kind no, of it's definitely a hot button issue for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely concerns about it. I'm less concerned in my field because I don't really care to approach music in that way, at least currently. Mm. Um, and I think that there's always going to be a draw for live music. I think what's going to happen is there's going to be different options in the future where I don't know if it's going to go to the extent of you can see – a like a live band that's not real people like they already have like those hologram gorillas yeah they have the hologram things or like i know there's some sort of like anime character that does like a actual show like as like a like just as an animated thing like they have like, sure. a hologram image so that's already been going on for a long time and 
there's people who are going to want to see that. I think there's going to be different things in the world. If you want to see live music, you can go see that. If you maybe for like a corporate event, they start hiring like some sort of like fake thing to make uh, not have to pay as much money. Sure. Or, yeah. I think it's going to be more AI generating things and what the legality comes from all mm. of that. That I don't really know, but we always deal with these things every 10 or 20 years. There's always a new advancement. Big societal advancement. I know what the, the big issue is like the writer's strike. So I don't know how that, you know, I don't know if that correlates the same to the music industry. I would say AI is taking over writing far faster because it's, it's so much easier for that thing to just compute a bunch of words and spit it out. And there you go. You got a screenplay or there you go. You got a whatever. I don't know enough about it, but my <clears throat> guess would be that it's easier to do that than to have it write a song. I don't really know, yeah. but, um, or whether, like I was saying, like when we were talking about music theory stuff, just because on paper you can do something that in theory makes sense, it doesn't necessarily come from a certain emotion or background or has something that people are going to relate to. Maybe in terms of like uh, like a beat or something or something that's used in the background or like I think the big thing I think it's going to be is for like movies and when you have these small instrumental pieces instead of hiring somebody. Quick can, draw. Exactly. Yeah. You just get a quick little thing for these cuts and different things. I think that's going to be the big thing in the music world that I foresee that it's used for, but I really have no idea. It's so hard to say sure, sure. where this is all going to go. I'm asking you a crapshoot question. Yeah. <laughs> now, I could, I could not imagine any world where somebody could make a guitar talk like somebody like Stevie Ray Vaughan or Peter Frampton or Peter Frampton, like, well, Peter literally <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the talk yeah. box, but, yeah, but, yeah. but I meant Stevie Ray Vaughan in the sense of like when he played and that's why he was always one of my favorite players because when he played, it was so melodic and so emotional and so like powerful that it, it felt like he was saying words. Like you could understand his emotional state, like he was talking to you, but it was through notes through the guitar. I don't know if you ever felt that way listening to Stevie Ray, but I always had that like emotional connection that way because I felt like his notes were always so hanged and twangy and like he had this way to like kind of speak through the guitar and I don't know if you're ever going to get that from like an AI or maybe they'll just be able to copy his thing and then bam that's in you know but it's so like hard you said, to taking the emotion out is really what I'm getting at is is AI's emotionless it's a computer there's no brain so that's yeah. like you know you're not having that emotion or that heart that that kind of gives that extra note you know what I mean like when you're into it on a song that bend is going to be more bendy and more like held because you're in that moment and you're like, well, you know, you're, you're there, but they, I don't know if AI is going to be able to mimic that. I don't think at first, I mean, I think with enough time, because I think, I don't know. It'll exactly, learn itself. Right. I don't it know gets what, smarter every second. Yeah. I don't yeah. really know how many words you need, but I know it's only something like if they have 50 to a hundred words of you recorded, they can pretty much just have you say anything and change the inflection or for someone like you who's doing podcast you know they there's a whole world oh of, my god you know you, they can take someone's words so yep. they can call my grandma and say i got kidnapped and yeah. then all of a sudden my grandma's sending over two million dollars to some guy yeah and that stuff <laughs> is starting to happen now yeah um yeah so i mean there's always going to be new scams there's always going to be new revelations in the world typically there's an aspect of it that hurts society and there's an aspect of it that is good for society. It's probably going to be somewhere in the middle. I could see um, for someone who's just starting off, like maybe you're making a podcast, maybe you're making like a movie, to be able to have something generate like background music when you don't have a budget. Oh, yeah. I totally understand the appeal of that, but then it's also on the, you know, the coattails of the people that make music, and then it obviously hurts their ability. But I think what happens is there's always going to be um, like the industrial revolution is always going to be the person who's like stuck with the hammer. But yeah, at yeah. some point, you know, when enough time goes by, you, you start saying like, okay, you can either adapt to the future or you can be kind of stuck in the past. So I think a lot of it is just seeing how things pan out, you know, and hopefully it doesn't take over the, the world and ruin everything, but we'll, we'll just have to kind of see how that, all that pans out. We'll have to see how it yeah. plays out. <laughs> Jack Marshall. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. It's been epic. We've been trying to record this. Now we finally got some time together and so happy you came on and, and what an amazing insight you've been and, and good luck with all the shows this summer, this year, and good luck with all the projects. You're crushing it. Check him out. Jack Marshall Music. He's in Annie Trezza. Got Whale Heart. Got, you know, uh, a lot of those little fun projects. Man. Yeah. Other than that, I'm playing with Julia King, Julia mostly King. on the, the North Fork and Big Karma. Big Karma. Um, when we get the time to play, because we're all a little spread out. But yeah. those are the main groups I'm playing in right now, and then always 
floating around doing something or other. So I'd say the best thing to do is follow um, follow Jack Marshall Music or Jack Marshall Guitar. That's where you can find all the dates and different things. And I got clips of me playing music if you want to see any of that kind of stuff. They do. Jack, thanks, man. Cheers. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This podcast episode is brought to you by Wampum Skate Shop in Bridgehampton has all the winter essentials you need to stay cozy and warm this season. Custom-designed hats, socks, and winter beanies are available now, direct on their website, wampumny.com. Highly educated listeners will get 25% off all socks, hats, and beanies for a limited time only by using the code HIGHLYWAMPUM at checkout. That's highly wampum, all lowercase, no spaces. I've owned wampum apparel that's over 10 years old. Seriously, shirts, beanies, hats, and they all still look new. Their quality is unmatched even after 100 cycles in the dryer. Don't be underprepared this season for those cold weather days. Snag a beanie or some socks, or even get someone a nice holiday stocking stuffer or a gift. Visit wampumny.com.